Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hajj Assad, and with me, as always, is my good friend and fellow automotive journalist, Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone. Greetings to you, Ben. It's good to hear from you again. Sammy, you've been gone for so long, and I've been so worried, and hearing your voice just puts everything right with the world. It's, we'll explain. I will explain. But before we do that, I want everyone to, to acknowledge that Ben and I are, are real, legit automotive journalists. In fact, I'm going to ask Ben to plug a couple of the recent publications that he's written for. Can you do that for me, Ben? Sure. You can find my work in Motor Trend, uh, at Driving Line, at Road and Track. Sorry, not Road and Track. Car and Driver, and at Haggerty, and Inside Hook. Let's let's put Inside Hook in there too. Yes, uh, and and I just love that. It just feels there's so much authenticity in the air. What are you doing? Uh, <laughs> You're really weirding me out. <laughs> And you can find my don't don't worry about it, Ben. This feels you like one of those find... situations where like you're reading to a camera but simultaneously blinking an SOS in Morse code. <laughs> Stop it, ben. I'm trying to do something professional here. You can find my work at autotrader.ca as well as driving.ca, Nuvo Magazine, and TechSpot. Ben, I've got so many cars to talk to you about, and I'm gonna dole them out piece by piece in a very easy-to-digest format over the next few weeks. Are you okay with that? Yeah, so tell me more about why you have so many cars to talk about. Um, this past week was a uh, an annual sort of celebration for all of the Canadian uh, automotive journalists. This is a, the Automotive Journalists Association of Canada. They held this thing called Test Fest, where we drive a bunch of the newest cars. Now, I'm going to be clear, I didn't drive them thoroughly. I mean, I drove them for less than an hour, probably. But I did take them on track where it was needed, off-road when it was needed, and um, on-road, too. I guess that – do we have to mention that? We usually drive cars on-road, Yeah, right? it wasn't like you were on some kind of elaborate virtual reality treadmill. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, that's. I think we should be clear about that going forward. Um so the, the so I did drive a bunch of cars, and I think we'll talk about two of I think the more interesting ones, um, and I'll talk about my first impressions with them, and then we can get to the vehicle that you you test drove a little bit more thoroughly uh, near the near the latter half of this podcast, near the end in the corner, and when when the lights start turning. After off, Sammy's right? taken his turn in the spotlight, after having abandoned me on this side of the Atlantic. That's <laughs> that's right. Um, so the first one I want to talk to, be, to you about is the Bronco, the Ford Bronco. And you'll note that I didn't say sport after Bronco. This is the real Bronco, right? I hope so. I mean, yeah. it wasn't like they took a bunch of cardboard and put it on a Bronco Sport to make it look like the big Bronco. Is it, Sammy? No, no, it's not like that at all. Did you drive I it drove, in the daylight? I did drive it in the daylight. I was a little tired. It was the first thing I drove this morning. And um, I, I I took it off-roading, too. And I played with a bunch of buttons on the dashboard. Do you remember that, what trim level it was? Because there's, I think, seven or eight, right? There's a whole bunch. Dude, this thing was gnarly looking. Uh, let me make sure I have the trim level. Because there's Sasquatch, there's Weirwolf, there's Kraken. Wild Track? Wild Kraken. And um, uh, well, kaiju. Crack. I like I like the idea that they they had tame kraken first. Well, tame kraken then... is the kraken that you know gets elected to Congress and makes the laws, and the and the wild kraken is the kraken that stays true to its uh, sea monster roots. That's understandable. I think I drove something called the Badlands. Okay. Okay. Does okay, that sound well, like a real quick question? Level? 
Is it a good idea to put the word bad in your vehicle title? <laughs> yeah, I know. Real risky by by Ford, really. Um, but, uh, I, I mean, we didn't take it to any bad lands. We just, I mean, I guess the land was, no, no land is bad, is it? Well, I, I don't know, man. I mean, let's not go there, but there are parts of the world that I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we drove this, I drove this Bronco uh, Badlands. It was um, very difficult for me to get into. It's a big old hop. You got to jump in there. Uh, you got to get a running start. I don't think this is a very um, approachable vehicle for short people. Uh, that's something you need to know. Okay, Ben? Okay. Uh, you need to hoist yourself in with some handles. That's the same thing as the Wrangler, though, right? Yeah, it's pretty It's pretty much a hoistable vehicle. So, and, and, and for those of you who are listening and are curious about the Badlands, it is the third from the top, but... Uh, in terms of trims and pricing, but more accurately, it's second from the top because the top is the first edition, and that's like a one-year-only kind of thing. And you, they're the actually top all being sold. the most expensive. Yeah, that's what I mean. So it, it starts at forty-two thousand, and then above that is Wild Track. And I think that both Badlands and Wild Track are more off-road focused, uh, whereas the one below the Badlands is the Outer Banks, and it's called off-roading in style. So I think that that's kind of the creature comforts focused one, whereas Badlands is extreme and Wild Track is high speed. So Sammy, uh, pl- please continue. Now I don't think anyone needs further like sort of introduction to the Bronco, but I'll do it anyways. The Bronco <laughs> is essentially the direct competitor for the uh, Jeep Wrangler, and the Jeep Wrangler has gone kind of uncontested for a long time. Although there are kind of tangentially related competitors like the I don't know, like the Forerunner or something. Yeah, I mean, if you want a vehicle that has non-removable doors and roof, then the mm-hmm. 4Runner will, will do the job. There's also, now we have the Defender, which is kind of like oh, yeah. the, the upscale Wrangler slash upscale Bronco. So the, the Bronco does this thing. It's supposed to be a better Wrangler, or at least Ford's take on the Wrangler. It has remo- a removable roof. It has removable doors. Um, I, it has it has a kind of throwback styling, you know, squared off and... Uh, but also somewhat futuristic, retro-futuristic. Can we, is that a thing? Can we make that a thing? I think Ford's trying to make it a thing. Um, and one of the more interesting things about it, I had the 3 point... Is it a 3 point something? A 2.7. It's a 2.7. So that the, the Badlands comes standard with the four-cylinder. Yes. And then you and upgrade it to the, the EcoBoost. I upgraded to the, the bigger EcoBoost, which, which the Eco... Oh, no, Ben. The bigger EcoBoost, which is a V6... With uh, 310 horsepower and 400 pound-feet of torque, which is pretty comparable, I think, to the Pentastar V6 and the uh, Wrangler. It well, has way more torque than the way than the Wrangler. Torque, yes, and it also comes with a 10-speed automatic. That's the one that I drove as well. Okay, I don't know if you can get a manual transmission with that V6. I don't think so. I either. think maybe in the lower trims, maybe I'm not sure. Now, the first impression is that this is a pretty good-looking um, vehicle. It does stand out from the Wrangler in its own way. Was yours and, a, sorry, was yours a four-door or a two-door? It was a four-door. Okay, so the, the four-door adds about two grand to the price for anyone who's curious. Yeah, and um, and uh, you jump in, and I found the interior to be far more modern than a, than a Wrangler would be, and I don't think that's a complaint, or it's just something I noticed. I think people who get Wranglers are totally aware of the of the stylistic limitations of the interior, like there's always these knobby buttons. Everything kind of looks like super analog. Um, but that's part of the appeal, right? Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. And the Bronco goes the a little bit in the opposite direction. It's got a bigger touchscreen. It's got more like uh, fancier buttons and knobs. Um, and uh, although there are a lot of like rubberized controls, you know, this is expected to go off-roading and get dirty. 
Um, it just felt a little bit more um, like a, a, of a cleaner presentation of an interior. Now, the materials but, in that interior, I, I want to ask you, I've had some people tell me that they don't necessarily hold up when you touch them. Like the, the look is there, but it kind of has a cheaper feel than expected. And was that your experience? Yeah, I would agree with that. It looks good, doesn't feel great, but I think that's okay because um, – you're going to be bonking your head around in the, in, the, in the cabin of this car anyways, right? You don't want – do you want the plushest of interiors to get your sweat all over? Them? Well, I mean I hope I'm not bonking my head around. <laughs> like a roller coaster ride. You know when they put that thing over your shoulders and you're like, this is going to be fun. But really it's just your ears smacking from side to side on those on those restraints. So you're saying that's what the Bronco has to no, offer? No, no. I shouldn't this – is, this is completely tangent. Uh, the Bronco um, – the interior, yeah, it could be a little bit better, but I do think it's a step above the um, Wrangler. I think the, the seats in particular for the Bronco are a highlight. And um, once we started getting driving in this in this vehicle, I I was stunned. I think this this thing off roads in a different way than the Wrangler too. Um, the Wrangler, I'll I'll say, I think because of the the legacy that it has, there's an expectation for the way that it approaches and tackles off road. Um, off-roading in particular. So where you could, you feel like you're in control of everything. While it is capable, you know what you're doing and you know what has to be done in order for you to clear an obstacle. Does that make sense? Sure. You have to be, you have to be aware of the situation that's going on. You can't just plow into things and be like, it did it. It's a Wrangler, of course. Well, yeah, I uh, mean, that's kind of, you don't want to just plow into anything off-road, right? Man, it seems like the Bronco dumbs everything down. It makes everything super easy. There are buttons and controls for everything. Putting it into four low, four high, um, uh, it, there's an automatic four-wheel drive mode. Uh, it's super simple. It's super quick, too. I used to remember, you know, you'd, you'd have that extra knob that you would throw into into neutral. You don't have that. It's essentially a little, um, not a knob, an extra gear stick in the Wrangler that you would do. Yeah, that so it's with, an electronically right? controlled transfer case versus the mechanical one in the Wrangler. That's right. And you also have additional drive modes in addition, like in addition to that, which I think is crazy too, right? They call them "go over any terrain," I think, okay. called, or "goat" for an acronym, which seems a bit forced. It seems like they really, really, I they mean, really goat tried. bad. We're really running into a lot of uh, new terms yes, here. That's true. Um, and then the uh, sway bar disconnect and electronic, um, I'm sorry, and locking differentials happen in like a snap. Like they really just like boof like they're done now like and i was really impressed by how digital it kind of felt in compared to the wrangler which is a little bit more analog in the way that it does it it feels clunky it feels old school it's like i'm getting like the truck is doing something let it do its business while the bronco is like magically we're in four low like <laughs> boof, right and i thought that was really interesting and then the off-road course that we did with it um, had all of the you know usual staples of a of an off road course. Uh, I would say in Canada there wasn't a lot of uh, rock crawling, like you know vertical rock crawling that we that you can see elsewhere in the world. Um, but we had um, some uphill and downhill stuff with um, with lots of mud. We had some ruts and those like kind of uh, mo not I guess they're kind of moguls where you get like a wheel in the air. And... Elephant humps. Is that what you call them? That's what I've heard them called. Is that the local uh, – is that the house term for them? No, in the house term in Quebec is le elephant humps. <laughs> yes, of course. I forgot about that. And in Toronto, we just uh, we just mentioned, we just do it without the T. Just elephant, the hump. elephant humps. <laughs> uh, 
so, and it, it tackled that all. Like, I, I thought there was a more hardcore off-road course being offered specifically for the Bronco. I was like, okay, so I got to the real off-road course now, right? They're like, no, you're at the end now. Well, they're not so, going to put a course together that's going to damage a vehicle, right? Like, they're, you know, it's, it's got to be a balance because not all the vehicles are, are Broncos, I'm assuming, that are going to be on this course. Well, there were supposed to be more vehicles on this off-road course, but it turned out just the um, – after the, after the other automakers saw it, they said uh, one, of, one or two of them bowed out. Really? And just the Wrangler and the, uh, and the Bronco were the ones that were cleared to do this, and wow. the other ones had a tamer, uh, an even more tame – um, off-road course, so that's what we were dealing with at that at that moment. That's, and even that's then, wild. somebody got stuck in uh, in the in the other off-road course. Um, so I need to say that it was really impressive to see all of this technology in action. My biggest worry when I got into the vehicle was visibility. That hood is super long, and um, I think unlike the maybe similar to the Wrangler, you can really pump the seat kind of low, and that's usually how I, I prefer to get into a into a car. But uh, this time I, in, in an SUV, I raised it a little bit high, and I still couldn't feel where the end of the, of the, of the hood was. Fortunately, there's a front-facing um, camera that displays on the, on the infotainment system. And I think that was automatically, like, that automatically turns on when you put it into, like, into four low or one of the off-road settings. So that was kind of smart uh, on their end. But like I said... Until it gets it, dirty and muddy, you know, because yes. you're off-road. I think there might be a cleaning system for it, too. Okay. Or a spray. Um, but this is what I'm trying to say is, you know, we used to complain about sports cars on the track taking away the authenticity of going track uh, on the track by, by shifting for themselves, by managing torque to, to, the, to, the, to all four wheels, or changing gears. Uh, sorry, uh, not changing gears. Um, What's the word? I'm, what are the other the other aspects? I'm I, I don't think it's an authenticity question. I just think it's a question of why you're at the track to begin with. Like if you're there to drive and have fun, then theoretically you want to be driving the vehicle, not have it drive for you. If, if you're there to impress other and, people with a lap time, then yeah. that's an entirely different situation. Now I felt kind a, a kind of like there was a similar feeling to me when we like I said when I finished this off road course in this Bronco, I was like. Okay, but real, where's the real off-road course? When is where does the thing that's going to be like testing the limits of the vehicle? Where's the moment where you're like, oh, I need to, I need to really, you know, pay attention to what's going on here. Um, it really handled it with such confidence that I, it was as if it was, it, like, that's a, that's what it was made to do, right? Like, well, that's a that's, positive thing, then. Yeah, but it almost took the fun out of it. Like, I kind of loved wrestling a, a wrangler around an off-road course you so did I mean? you drive the wrangler on the same course no i didn't get a chance to do the wrangler and not only that the wrangler that they had was the v8 version which is uh which is a different animal altogether wow i'm surprised you didn't drive that yeah it, there was a there was a lineup and uh i didn't have um i didn't unfortunately i have certain needs to fulfill and clients that needed the stories and okay. information so <laughs> The Bronco kind of prioritized. So what was it like on the road then? Okay. Now, for all of that confidence on the off-road, I think there was a little bit of a compromise on the road. I think the steering is still is, is better than the Wrangler, which is, a, which is a big deal because the Wrangler steering is one of its lowest points. But the wind noise is still awful in this vehicle. Now, I did have like the remo- a vehicle with removable, a removable roof. Well, they're and- all removable. Are they all removable? I didn't yeah. know if that that was the case. Um, yes. 
And so it felt like the wind noise was particularly bad. Was it a hard top uh, or a soft top? A hard, um, a hard top. Okay. And no, maybe I think it was a soft top. It wasn't know, like the, a cloth. Pick, it the, wasn't like a cloth top. It looked, it looked, it didn't look like canvas. That's well, what I'm okay. So what I mean, the picture you sent me is a hard top model. Yeah, that's the one. Man. Okay. It didn't look that hard. I mean, I guess it was. Yeah. <laughs> uh. What were you saying? Oh, the wind noise. Awful. Oh, I couldn't stand it. Um, and I think it was worse and louder than the Wrangler. And that's really shocking to me because this is a brand new from the ground up design, right? It, it, the Wrangler is kind of a design that's evolved over the years that's tried to stay really um, loyal, faithful to how the original Wranglers have looked. Right. And you'd figure that Ford would be able to do something about wind noise with all the technology they have at their disposal. Then I start thinking about how many problems Ford has had getting the hardtops built for these vehicles. Oh, issues, yeah. I issues forgot that, about that. Yeah. So there's people who aren't getting – they order their vehicles for this year. They're not getting them until late next year because Ford can't get hardtops built. But I've also seen people who did get their hardtop vehicles now and having problems with those hardtops in terms of quality. So it, maybe it's a third-party issue because Ford isn't building those hardtops themselves. They're, they're farming them out. Um, and then there's all these other things that I think the Bronco does a little bit better, like all of those driver's aid um, and and assistance features. They seem a little bit more better baked in this car than they do in the in the Wrangler. They feel a little bit more confident. They feel a little bit stronger. Uh, adaptive cruise control look, works really well. The lane keeping works really well. Um, and then there's some other interesting things. Have you heard of this trail turn assist? Yes. I don't. That's a wild situation to me, um, where it, it helps you turn the vehicle on an off-road surface um, much quicker. It's almost like a like a handbrake turn, um, and I was really impressed by by seeing a big vehicle like this make a tight turn like that. And um, how does and it I, work? You press a button, you, and then you turn the wheel, and then press the gas. Like it's there's nothing to it. But it drags a brake, right? Like that's I'm asking. I believe that's how mechanism. it does. Yeah, so it locks. I brake. believe that's how it does it. Yeah. Sorry, was that mean? I shouldn't have done that. Um, it's like I said, it has tons of tricks. It has tons of little features, and to me, it feels so much more modern than a Wrangler. And I think that's that's a good thing in a lot of ways. But it also takes like that's what the Wrangler does, right? What do you mean? That's what it does. People get a Wrangler for that old school truck feel. Yeah, I guess so. But you don't want to simply build a Wrangler and sell it as a Ford. That's not what Ford's trying to do. They're trying to do something else. So I can understand. Is that what killed, is that what killed the FJ Cruiser? No, I think what killed the FJ Cruiser was the weird doors at the back that made it really <laughs> hard to ex- access the interior. And maybe styling that wasn't for everybody. Um, I, love, I love the FJ. And I think fuel mileage is also horrible. <laughs> With equally low power. That was like that era when every off-road vehicle had the most basic V6 engine that was decently torquey but got like 15 miles per gallon no matter what you were doing. So Yeah. Well, we're so far beyond that with uh, vehicles like the Bronco and the, the many different versions of the, of the Wrangler. Not only is there a, Force, a Turbo 4 and a V6 Wrangler, there's also a V8 and a plug-in hybrid. So, yeah. so and a diesel. I, did I forget the diesel? I did. So I'm very curious. I'm going to be driving the Bronco in about a month. So I'm really curious to – and I won't be taking it off-road most likely because I think that the trails around Montreal are going to start to become inaccessible. Yeah, uh, they're going to get closed, on, right? Well, and, and mud starts to freeze and stuff at night. And 
hitting frozen mud with suspension is really not great for a vehicle. Uh, And when it's not my vehicle, I try not to, you know, engage in those kinds of activities. Uh, But uh, I am very curious to see what the build quality is going to be like, what the top's going to sound like, all that kind of stuff that I've I've heard so many people talk about and, and you've talked about now, and I want to get my own firsthand experience with that. But I, I know you drove another vehicle that you really wanted to talk about today that's also super new and everyone has been asking us about. Right. So I drove the, um, the 2022 Hyundai Santa Cruz, which is a Tucson with a, a Hyundai Tucson with a truck bed. Nice. I mean, that's how every time I've been dreaming about that for... Oh, I don't know. My entire life, just I, every time I see a Tucson, I'm like, if only there was less of this vehicle, and it was somehow a little less practical um, in my daily life. If if only I had an exposed cargo area that I'm never going to use, and that was uh-huh. too short to put a mountain mountain bike in. <laughs> I hear you. There is a special trick. It has a great tonneau cover, uh, integrated tonneau cr- cover, so that's handy. Are there seatbelts I- back there? In the tonneau? I mean, yeah. in the bed? Yeah. Not a Subaru brat, buddy. Come on. Okay. Well, maybe it should be. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's so funny to think about the underwhelming Subaru Baja being remade again, essentially with the Maverick and the and the, and the Santa Cruz, well, I think. Don't way. forget vehicles like the Rampage from Dodge. How could, I, how could I forget? And the Scamp from Plymouth. Yes. And and I mean the Baja is 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 you know the the I think the Baja is is um you could do it Ben you can you can articulate this feeling I'm sure I think the the Baja is overrated and underrated at the same time <laughs> Why what type of nonsense is that because, Come on Ben we because... were hoping for something so pro- profound from you that <laughs> you just because I think the Baja, as a package, I really like that generation of Outback right. that it's based on. I think it's a really good generation of the vehicle. You could get the XT with a manual transmission, so you had like the Turbo 4, and it was fun. But I think it's – so I think it's underrated because everyone looks at it and they're like, that thing is so ridiculous. But yeah. I think it's overrated in the sense that they sold so few of them that everyone who has one thinks it's worth like $35,000. <laughs> No, you can never find one, and if you do, if there's one at a reasonable price, don't get it. There's no, there's a terrible with story it. that comes with it. There's yeah. always it's always something crazy. Like it's had like three accident reconstructions or something, or it's like an automatic, naturally aspirated uh, version of the vehicle. Yeah, so that's that's my take on the Baja. I, and and I was when I was talking about the Scamp, I, I thought you were talking originally about the Brat, right? So that's why right. I brought up the Scamp and the, and the Rampage. But, like, the Baja really took things to an, another level when you're talking about trucks that aren't useful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I'm not sure how useful it is. One of the, the biggest problems I have with this uh, program that we do is we don't get to load stuff into these vehicles. We don't you got to bring your own stuff to load. I know. Man. Everyone knows that. <sighs> I'm such a novice, you know, sometimes. Um, but I will say, if you've driven a Tucson... You know what a Santa Cruz is going to drive like. There is almost no difference. In fact, um, you're driving this thing. You look in the in the in the in the rear seats. It feels it looks like a Tucson. You you look in the front seats. It looks and feels like a Tucson. Only when you get out of the vehicle and look at this truck bed, you're like, oh, it's a different vehicle. Like that's it. It is so refined and um, and crossovery, right? Like it's so. It just doesn't feel like a truck. And I drove a bunch of trucks as well. And they, like, I, I drove the new Frontier as well. Did you drive I the Maverick? A, 
No, the Maverick was not there. But I did drive the new Tundra, and I, I, I have an idea of how trucks feel like. This did not feel like that trucky. Now, there's there's a good reason. There's a good part of that. You know, it's not as stiff and uncomfortable and, and kind of like um, intimidating to drive. But it also means that it's it's much more confident to drive. It's easier to, to maneuver. And it's got all the same features and parking assistance and driving assistance and blind spot monitoring and all these really things that you expect from Hyundai um, in this truck-like vehicle. Getting close up to the vehicle and seeing its truck bed... I was a little worried too. I don't think that is the most practical thing at all. Like so, I don't think it's going to be used by the same sort of people that you see at construction sites. It might be for something a little bit more, um, lower duty than that, if that makes sense. I had a friend of mine who drove them both back to back. The Ma- when I say both, I mean the Maverick and the Veracruz. So, Veracruz. Well, there's that's going back in time. Whoa. That is an old Santa Hyundai Cruz. Santa Cruz, uh, and. So they're roughly the same size, right? They're both front-wheel drive pickups. They're both unibody. So she does this thing where she she gets in the truck. It's Jill Simonillo, who's a yep. great journalist out of Chicago. She always gets – she's a, a of smaller than average stature. So she's always fitting herself into trunks and taking pictures. It's kind of like her trademark thing. She did a thing where she laid down in the beds. Okay. And in the uh, Santa Cruz – Basically, her ankles and her feet were outside of the truck bed when she okay. was lying down. Yep. And in the Maverick, only the tips of her feet were. So it looked like the Maverick had like a slight advantage uh, in yeah. terms. But I think doesn't the Santa Cruz have some kind of covered storage underneath the truck bed? It does. Kind the of Maverick like doesn't the, have that, I don't think. Kind of like a ridgeline. Yeah. So there's now, that. And people... it has the tonneau cover that you mentioned, which I think is integrated into it. Yeah. And our tr- the the vehicle we had also had like an additional accessory a kind of like cage that folds over the the tailgate yeah Does a lot of sense? a lot of the smaller trucks have that i remember the uh, you always used to see that with the explorer sport tracks they would always yeah. do that cuz that was another so, truck with a useless so bed when, <laughs> so when we when i looked at this vehicle i saw this this apparatus in the bed and then somebody was like oh you know there's a trunk on, in there and i'm like yeah but now i have to un like unfold this cage apparatus to get and, to that and trunk. the other thing about that integrated to no cover is it takes up space at the front of the bed right right yeah so you're gonna lose i think three or four inches if you had a bike that you were throwing in there upright yeah which you can't do <laughs> there's something interesting um another great journalist um here in canada his name is Stephen elmer he does a youtube channel called truck king i really encourage people to uh check it out and subscribe but he told me that um they usually do something called a squat check or a squat test when they load these trucks up um and then he sees how much the rear end kind of squats and in the santa cruz it has a somehow like this passive self-leveling rear suspension that um they're like we can't do this test very very like properly it's it's totally trick suspension that um helps out back there so it's got a completely I, different rear end than the tucson i i have that suspension in my ctsv uh, uh, it has the shocks are self-leveling at the rear. It's not that uncommon. Um, but the problem for my application is if you try to lower the vehicle, you can't. Uh, if you put lowering springs on the rear of the CTSV, it simply like keeps raising <laughs> back to where Ooh, it thinks no. it should be. So there, the, the the two solutions are you have to either go with a coilover, eh? oh, yeah. a, a coilover that, that eliminates that shock absorber they're called nevo mat shocks i believe um mm-hmm. or you use this this guy called his his online name was mighty mouse uh, on the forums 
And he built a kit that would relocate the top mount for the shock. So yeah. you're changing the distance that it has to go. And that's another way to do it. But yeah, it, it is the same as those. It is the same supplier, the same product, Nevo Matt. Um, and so this Santa Cruz has that as well. Okay. Um, which is an interesting little um, tidbit of, of information, I think, for, for people interested in this truck. I think this is a better overall package than a Ridgeline. And that's important because I think the Ridgeline is more than enough truck for most people. Um, I don't know all of the details in terms of towing and towing capacity or, or um, payload, but for people who, who do occasional truck-like things, this might be the the right fit. The only problem is if you're doing real like real truck hauling, this won't work. Like you won't be able to if you, if you used your truck for your job, uh, maybe a construction job or a or a landscaping gig. I don't think this will do the trick. At all. That's interesting because, you know, it's not that much different than the Maverick, which is being sold as kind of a trucky truck. Yeah, but I also think that's going to be similar too. Sorry, the towing capacity is 3,500 pounds. Okay, that's decent. That's the same as yeah. an Outback, which is a lot bigger. And I also have to add actually – Or it seems a lot bigger. I don't know if it actually is. That powertrain that it has, which I think is just a 2-liter uh, turbo 4, 2.5-liter turbo 4 with an 8-speed dual-clutch um, transmission. Man, this thing – like it is punchy off the line. It's almost too too aggressive in the throttle tip in. So maybe it's catering to that uh, to that tow rating or something like that. That tuning that's tuned to that tow rating, but it feels so quick. Um, and it caught me off guard because I think you look at it and you're like, it's a truck or a Tucson. It's going to be kind of tame. And when you start driving it, you're like, hey, this is punchy. Like it really gets the job done. Um, so any final thoughts on either of these two vehicles? Yeah. So again, Bronco. Um, Super confident off-road, um, and I think that was the most important thing to test for in a short period of time. I'm looking forward to hearing what you have to say when you spend a week with it. And then for the Santa Cruz, um, a very li- it is truly as, as marketed. It's a lifestyle-oriented um, truck. It does what it's supposed to do, and it is going to have that, uh, that covered bed, like bed lit for, for people there. Um, and it drives very much like a Tucson, and I really like the motor. So I did not go to Test Fest uh, as as you did, nor did I spend a week luxuriating uh, in the Mediterranean sun like you did. But I did drive something that I think you might find interesting, Sammy, because I know you like this vehicle very much. Okay, what is it? Let's let's go through all the vehicles I like. <laughs> we well, actually, that would be a short list, but uh, <laughs> it's the 2022 Genesis GV70. Oh, I do like that. Now, which motor did you have? I had the the six cylinder, the three point three. This. Uh, it's a 3.5, actually. Gotcha, Ben. It's a 3.5. Are you sure? Yeah, man. Oh, okay. I thought it was a 3.5. Oh, wait, sorry. GV70 or G70? GV70. Yeah, that's a 3.5. Okay, so I, I had the, the, the 3.5. I'm sorry, because the G70 is the one with the 3.3, right? Yeah, yeah. You're getting, you're getting your 70s mixed Too up. Many okay, G's. now, I really adore this vehicle, and I saw a lot of journalists testing it this week as well, and um, they, they came away pretty impressed. I want to hear your thoughts, because you are super critical, nothing gets by you, and, um, and I, if there's one person who can find a, a, a fatal flaw in a vehicle like the GV70, it's going to be you, right, Ben? Well, I, I object to that characterization of myself. <laughs> I don't think the vehicle has a fatal flaw. Uh, I think that it is an extremely competitive uh, compact SUV. I think it looks great. I think it looks better than pretty much any other uh, German or Japanese luxury SUV of its size. 
The only part of the styling I wasn't super into is the the exhaust at the rear of the vehicle. It like there's this dual pipes that emerge from this one big plastic piece that goes across the whole bottom and it's kind of honeycombed and it kind of looks like these weird cannons or I don't know. My, a friend of mine thought they were steps. <laughs> To like step I'm sorry, into, what? <laughs> step into and step up onto the roof, yeah. the roof rack or something, and I can see that they just kind of protrude. It's a little awkward. Everything else about it looks great. It's 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 really a fantastically attractive truck or trucklet, however you want to put I, it. I find, <laughs> I think it makes. For, sorry, that was an awful laugh. I'm sorry about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm completely thrown. <laughs> um, I thought it makes a very good uh, first impression. But I think the more time you spend with it, the more time you look at it, you see that it borrows a lot from other automakers in the industry. I think it has a profile. It reminds me of of the Alfa Romeo um, Stelvio. Maybe I think a the, little bit. I think the rear profile um, calls to the the Macan a little bit, uh, and I think the front profile is it's definitely that's where the, you see the most Genesis. Um, Characteristic. It does have a much shorter roof line than the GV80, and I think that that does kind of take a little away from its uniqueness. But then you get inside the vehicle. The interior is pretty fantastic. It, yeah. The version that I had had that nice quilted leather on almost every surface. Uh, it, it does an interesting thing where instead of – you know, we're always complaining about losing buttons on the dashboard and stuff. Well, yeah. the GV80 – sorry, GV70 kind of – it, it merges the two worlds of like touch panels and buttons. It has this, it's like a pod, a kind of a half oval pod on the dash that looks pretty good. And my, my interior was red to match the exterior red. So everything mm. was very flashy. But it's like a black pod that has these kind of discrete plastic panels. And those panels are divided into buttons, sort of. They look like they're touch buttons, but they're actually physical buttons. And they make it really easy to turn the climate control on and off. And then if you want to get to the details of the climate, there's um, an actual touch screen at the center that does that for you. So I thought that was an interesting way to kind of meet in the middle. So you have a clean implementation, but you also have the utility of buttons. Mine also had a fingerprint reader. I did not know what it was until <laughs> uh, Blake, one of our listeners clued me into what it was i posted a question on instagram his his family they actually have one of these vehicles um, nice. they purchased it this year so that's to kind of uh, keep track of if you have multiple people who are in the vehicle they can use their fingerprint to call up their driver profiles i don't know why you would want to do that or why you need to do that because you can do that in many many other ways that don't require biometric information <laughs> but i also uh, feel like it could do so much more than just a driver profile right I mean, sure, it could probably take your blood type and tell you if you've been eating healthy and do all that cool stuff that the Subaru AI that you're so in love with does. But uh, No, I've broken up with the Subaru AI. Yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. But uh, I'll believe that when it stops texting me at 2 in the morning asking why you're not replying. The, the issue, though, that I have with the interior, uh, I, I liked everything about the interior. I liked everything about it. The issue I had with the control set is on the center console, um, you'll remember the, GV, the GV80 – we talked about how it has like a rotary dial for the infotainment system, and it was like a and recessed an iPod, kind of, yeah, an like iPod a, click wheel, yeah, like a reverse dome kind of thing. So <laughs> the GV, this is, I'm telling you, it's like an iPod click wheel. I think that's what people are, unless we have people who listen who are less than like 15, maybe they don't know what an iPod. Click but it, it's also like it's it had more of a of a of a dome than the than the iPod did. I love, yeah, you're right. I guess so. So anyway, the reason I mentioned the dome, and if you let me finish my thought, it will make sense, is because the GV70 abandons that and gives you like a full-on pop-up rotary dial. Yeah. 
And yes, and what's weird is it's like right above or below the gear selector, which is also a rotary dial. Yeah, this is a so, problem because if you want to change your your radio stations or or whatever selection on the screen and miss use the wrong dial, you end up slamming it into park. For me, the problem was every time I got into the vehicle, I went to shift it with the stereo, <laughs> like I went to shift it with the infotainment controller because it's the first. It's it's where your head would naturally fall, and yeah. it was on the armrest, whereas the the transmission one is just behind it. So that was annoying, and I couldn't break myself of that behavior. I think that if I owned the vehicle, maybe I would get used to it, but it's still having two identical yet drastically different controls beside each other is not the best ergonomics. Uh, the okay, o- so then coming coming back from the... Um, from the other vehicle, the the GV80, which one did you prefer then? I prefer this. I prefer okay. this. I think it's much easier to use. Uh, it's not as touch sensitive, and okay. it just it was just more natural. The other, it's just fun. Yeah. The the other kind of uh, thing I didn't appreciate about the GV70's interior was the cargo compartment is quite small. Yeah. If you yeah. have a full load of people, you're not going to be able to put a lot back there. Like I was able, I went on a road trip with the vehicle and I have a very large cooler. So I put that back there and I was able to put a box beside it, like a normal kind of, I would say two by two or two by three box, cardboard box. That was pretty much it in terms of what fit in the back. Uh, The rear seats are okay. They're not. They're okay. I think that's the compromise. I think. If I had to pick the two. Between the two, I think the GV80 is better executed in terms of design and convenience and just utility because you have the extra wheelbase. I think that makes a difference. But if you don't care about that, if you're two people and you're going to be able to put those rear seats down and haul stuff, then the GV70 is going to be just as useful. Uh, And it's also pretty damn quick. Uh, It has 375 horsepower. It's – I I can't remember how many speeds are in the transmission. I, I want to say eight. Sure, and I'll, I, I'll run with that. I'll I'll back you up on that. Yeah, it's it's eight speed. I checked it out, and it, mine was all wheel drive. It drove really well. It wasn't necessarily sporty, but when you put it in sport mode, it it the transmission would hold the gears like a really long time, like an uncomfortably <laughs> yeah. long time. And then you put it in sport plus, and it was even longer. Like sometimes I think it was waiting for me to make the decision, <laughs> even though I wasn't in manual mode. But all that to say, it does have different personalities. I enjoyed the softest one. It has an individual setting where you can mess around and create your own um, driving profile. It it drove quite well. And, and I I just it, – it's an interesting balance between comfort and performance. I wouldn't say this is the best handling or most uh, engaging luxury SUV out there in its class. What does, it, what does it better, you think? I think maybe the X3 probably is a little bit – more engaging um the the stelvio definitely all right although i mean only it feels like only the good only the super powerful stelvio is the, is the one that most people mention yeah i can't remember if i've even yeah. driven the non-super powerful one i have and it was not interesting um but i'm not looking for that in a vehicle like this what i yeah. want this to be is something that's comfortable when i want it to be comfortable and then if i am on a back road i don't feel like it's going to lose its way and that's exactly what this had it does 0 to 60 in 4.9 seconds that's really really <laughs> fast for a non like per, like performance branded yeah. vehicle right especially there's a lot so- this is something i w- i would recommend this vehicle to anyone who's looking for a compact luxury crossover no question i think you need to drive this alongside BMW, Audi, Mercedes-Benz. 
Um, it, it is a class above anything from Lexus or Audi in this segment. Okay. Uh, so not Audi, uh, Lexus or Acura in this segment. And I think it's also probably better than the Cadillac option. Uh, I haven't X- driven XT4 a Nautilus. Or XT5? I, I don't know if it goes up against. It's definitely better than an <laughs> XT4. Yeah. <laughs> but okay. uh, I haven't driven a Nautilus, so I can't really say uh, versus the Lincoln. But definitely put, this on, put this on your list. Okay. Well, I don't know, Sammy, because I was so surprised by how good the Aviator is. That's true. That I don't want That's to true. trash talk the Nautilus and then be proven wrong. I have to say, I'm annoyed with the GV70, and I think um, the other German automakers should be too, because it has walked into this segment and shown everything up, and it's so difficult to find a critical point with it um, for me, and it seems like every other automaker is is such is at a standstill in comparison to Genesis. It, it, it like, And like it's that. affordable too. Like the base model with the four cylinder, which is still 300 horsepower, yeah. is yeah. 41 grand. Yeah. And the version I drove is another 10. It's like 52,600. And you can obviously add options and all that kind of stuff. But what I think about, you know, the, the more I look at the GV70 from the front end, I think this is the evolution of what the Infiniti FX could have become. Yeah, if it had if it had stuck to it, it I don't. If it was never. They didn't super, do that that weird engine thing that they did with the the, the QX50 or. Well, it was never very practical. Like the yeah. the platform that it was riding on cut into cargo space quite a bit. The FM platform, which is the same one they use for the G series sedan and 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 the coupe. Uh, but I feel like the Genesis is kind of like the 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 logical heir to that, although. It's way better executed, and the interior is is so much better. But it just kind of has that vibe. Yeah, I can see that. I hold on. I still have an affinity for the FX, uh, especially yeah. that second generation. I thought it was really cool. You know, I I, um, I totally forgot that the QX50 existed until we just started talking about this. And, and I this like you know we yeah. we, we, we Isn't were in that love wild. With, we were in love with the QX50's interior. It was very good, but I think that the Genesis just blows it away. It was because the Genesis completes the package. It's more yes. than just an. It's more than just an interior. It has an exterior, and it doesn't use. It's not using that weird experimental VC turbo that doesn't feel all too special and, and isn't have, that fuel efficient. Remember I that have, I have a piece of that VC turbo engine in my hand right now, Sammy. You fiddle with that every time. It is record. always on my desk. What am I not fiddling? But all this to say, GV70, quite excellent. Put it on your list. You need to be driving Genesis if you are buying or considering buying a luxury car. Uh, there is no excuse not to. They are there is one. Much, ex- there is one excuse. The game. What I'm is, giving what you one. I'm going to give one excuse, and again, it's because I'm I'm trying to be as as critical as I can. There should be at least something that to 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 improve upon. And to me, it was fuel economy. I don't think it's especially with the 3.5. I don't think it's very good in terms of fuel economy. And all of the other automakers seem to be offering a plug-in or a hybrid offer, uh, a version of the vehicle. And Genesis does not have that with the G. Is there a, is there a hybrid X3? Uh, yeah. It's a, is it not a plug-in? I don't know. I'm asking you. I I believe so. I believe there's a plug-in X3. And um, I will give a teaser for a future episode. I drove a prototype version of the Lexus NX with a plug-in hybrid, and I came away pretty impressed, thinking that uh, Lexus has a formula um, or, or still knows what they're what how to make good cars. So, uh, for in terms of fuel mileage, I saw about twenty-four miles per gallon on my road trip that was mostly highway. Okay, and if I'm looking at 
Uh, I'm not sure exactly. I know that the four-cylinder version is 28 on the highway and 22 around town. But if I'm looking at overall driving, I believe I only saw like 16 miles per gallon, which is not great. Yeah. You know, not that, ideal. Was a lot, that was a lot of city. Let me double check my BMW beliefs about uh, a plug-in. They used to have a plug-in. Maybe I'm maybe I'm that far behind nowadays. Um, was it not called the iDrive something? Yeah, no, X3 PHEV. Yes, there it is. Okay. It might not. There might not be a new version of it though. Um, anything else you want to say about this GV70? No, I think I said my piece. And do you think there's going to be like? Now it's it's just a, a recognition name a game for for Genesis. They have a fully a pretty complete lineup of vehicles, I think, that are pretty success, uh, pretty competitive. I think top tier um, in many ways, right? Yeah, I would agree. Now they just need to get them in the hands of people, right? Well, the I, I do see more and more of them as time goes on. I mean, it's not a secret. It's a secret that is being told every time someone purchases one of these and then talks to their friends about how much they like it. And I think that that strategy is working. I don't know how fast it's going to take to work, but I, it's definitely... Um, it's not like... You know, there's some cars that get introduced to the market and you absolutely never see them. I, remember the Acura RLX? No. Exactly. So it was a full-size... For those of you who don't know, Acura had a full-size luxury sedan for a good number of years that nobody bought. And they used to they used to promote it by saying it has the powertrain of the NSX, but backwards, right? Like something weird like that. Something like that. But you never saw them. And and you wouldn't even see them in showrooms. But with Genesis, it's not like that. I'm seeing Genesis models of every stripe. Like I see G90s, I see GV70s, I see GV80s. They're out there. And that gives me hope. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I would like to end this week's episode. What do you think? Let's do it. You know how to end before, things. Before I end this episode, I want to give a special shout out to our Ko-Fi um, contributors. We have uh, Gary and Rob who have contributed re- recently. We really appreciate your support. Thank you. If you guys want to, if you, dear listener, want to contribute as well, it's pretty easy. You do, you go to ko-fi.com slash unnamed automotive podcast. K-O-F-I. Dot com. Right. Um, and you can give us whatever you feel like giving. If you liked our episode, um, it makes us feel like we're doing the right thing. Um, if we don't get any money, we'll start changing up the format, and then we'll probably get a lot more hate mail that way, maybe. I just tuned out when, when Sammy talks about money. <laughs> That's right. Um, I'm just kidding. We, it just, we really appreciate the support. It makes us uh, feel like we're doing something here. Um, anyways, in addition to that, you can head on over to our website, unnamedautomotivepodcast.com. And while you're over there, you can see um, all of our previous episodes. You can even see uh, photos of the cars that we've been talking about or links to other stories that we've written um, about those cars. And you can subscribe to our podcast pretty easily through the website. There's a bunch of buttons at the top, um, and it's super easy to do so. Ben, why don't you tell them how they can get in touch with us? Well, if you're still on the website, you can do that by using the contact form we have there. You fill it out and it ends up in our inbox. But you can also get in touch with us on social media. Sammy prefers the cesspool that is Twitter. You can find him there at at Sammy underscore ha, like you're laughing. Whereas I am usually on Instagram at Hunting Benjamin. Or you can email me the old-fashioned way, Benjamin at BenjaminHunting.com. Very cool. What are you talking about? What are we talking about next week, man? Sammy, I'm going to flip the script by not flipping the script. I'm going to be talking about the sedan version of the GV70, the G70. Oh, yes. The one that you got confused the motors about. Yes, okay. but it is also completely redesigned. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about that. 
Um, and I'll talk about another pair of um, of quick takes that I had. Uh, how about the Lexus NX that I gave a little teaser for, and and what the Mazda MX-30? No, let's go with the Nissan Frontier. Okay, sure, the Nissan Frontier. <laughs> yeah, tune in next week and you'll hear us. Tune in, just download the episode. What am I talking about? Thank you, everybody. See ya.